Okay, do you want to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Joshua, which is on page 151. If you haven't met before, my name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're going to spend the next six weeks looking at the book of Joshua. It's on page 151. And maybe you're here tonight and you're asking the question, why Joshua? Why would you spend uh, six weeks on a Sunday night looking at this little book in the Old Testament called the book of Joshua? Why are you reading a book about God's people conquering this strange land called the land of Canaan? Uh, let, me get, let me tell you why we're doing Joshua. Uh, the main reason I've chosen to look at Joshua is this. Uh, that Joshua is a book all about God's faithfulness. The big theme of Joshua is that our God is a faithful God who keeps all his promises. Uh, Joshua is probably the most uplifting, the most encouraging book in the Old Testament. Uh, Here's the key verse. If you're into memory verses, this is the verse for you to to memorize. Uh, Joshua 21 verse 45. Look at it, not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. If you leave nothing else tonight, please just just know that verse. Uh, Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel has failed. Every one was fulfilled. Uh, Don't you find that encouraging? That every single promise that God has made... He will keep. Everything God said he will do, he will do. And it might not be in the timing that you want it to happen. It might not be the way that you want it to happen. Whatever God has promised will happen, he will keep his promises. That doesn't get more encouraged than that, does it? That, that, that God is faithful to all his promises. And let's make sure that we get our, our biblical theology right when we read Joshua. Let's make sure we understand how to read the Old Testament. See, the, in the Old Testament, uh, the, the God's people were called the Israelites. And God's people were heading towards the promised land called Canaan. And God's people needed to be encouraged that their God would keep his promise, that there was a land, that they get to the land, and the land would be good. And so what is the land that God has promised us today? In the New Testament, come forth in the New Testament, God has promised his people, us, Christians, that he's taking us to a land. It's not called a land of Cain, it's called heaven. The new heavens and a new earth. And maybe you, like me, need to be persuaded and reminded that God has got a land for us. It's called heaven. And God will take us there, and that land really will be good. I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I struggle with that. I, I read the Bible and it says, yes, there is a heaven. But I've got kind of questions going on in my mind, thinking, you know, will heaven really be that good? Sydney's pretty good, isn't it? Will heaven be better than that? Oh, I've got questions in my mind like, how do I know that I really will get to heaven? And that's where the book of Joshua is just so encouraging because it's not about me finding my way to heaven. It's about my God holding on to me and him taking me to heaven. 
I love Joshua. It's just a book about the God who has promised you this amazing land and a God who is able to get you there. That's why we're looking at Joshua. So why don't we hear it read? Uh, Joshua chapter 1 on page 151, and Anoop's going to read it to us. Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may say in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all of your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them, will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous.
The second reading tonight is from Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 13, and can be found on page um, 847 in the Pew Bible. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. From somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Thanks, Anna. I don't know whether you're the kind of person who likes maps. You know, you're told you're going somewhere, you get out your, your iPad or your iPhone, you put in Google Maps and you put in your starting point, you put in your end point though Google Maps often gets it wrong and takes you a long way. But if you like maps, here's where we are. Here's the, uh, the Jordan River. And God's people have come from Egypt down to Mount Sinai. They've wandered in the wilderness for about 40 years. And here they are, about to cross over into the Promised Land. I don't really like maps. Uh, I much prefer trying to find my own way. Rachel gets annoyed with me, you know. Well, just get out your phone and look on the map. And I thought, no, I can find my way there. It's okay. But if you don't like maps, I'm going to just retell this story just so you can understand where we are. Okay? So I'm going to go to first person. And this is going to be the promised land over in the prayer area. Okay? This is the promised land. This is where we're heading. Okay? We're going to start off. Uh, I'm a, I'm, my name is Joshua. I'm son of Nun. And uh, I, I was down there in Egypt. Remember in Egypt when God's people were in slavery? That, that was me. It was extraordinary. Like, like, like God had promised uh, our father Abraham back in Genesis 12 that, that he would make us a great people and take us to this great land and he would bless us. 
Now, God had kept the people bit of the promise because we were now two million people. But the land? We were down in Egypt, a long way away from from the promised land. And, And the blessing? Come on, God. We are slaves. But you know what? God was faithful. So there was this day where me and my family, we, we, we turned up at uh, the, the Red Sea. Do you remember that story? And God divided the Red Sea, and, and we walked through on dry land. And I'm thinking, we are going to the promised land. We're going to the promised land. But no, we're not. It's the, the wrong direction. And you know what? We ended up in this place, and, and you can read about this in, in Exodus, a chapter 17. This is where we first appear. And, and Moses, this great leader, chooses me, Joshua, to be his assistant. Can you imagine that? And do you know what Joshua, what Moses does? He makes me fight with an army against the Amalekites. And do you know what, what Moses is doing? He's not fighting. He's up the mountain. He's praying. And so I'm down there, and Moses is here, and every time Moses raises his arms, what happens? We win the battle. Every time his arms are down, we lose the battle. And so Aaron and her go up to hold Moses' arms up, And I'm down there fighting, and you know, we win. It's amazing. And God is teaching me this lesson. God is saying to me, remember, Joshua, I win the battle, not you. The next moment I appear in the Bible is in Exodus 32. Uh, Do you remember when, when Moses has been up the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments? Remember that? Well, what happens is is that I'm up there as well. And so we're up this mountain, and God's people are down the mountain. And as we come down the mountain, we hear all this partying. And we're thinking, what is going on? Can you guess what God's people are doing? Uh, They've chucked in their gold earrings, and they've chucked in their gold jewelry, and they've built this stupid golden calf, and they're dancing around the calf. Then Moses gets these stone tablets, and he smashes them. And God is teaching me at that point that God's people have got these disobedient, rebellious hearts. Uh, About Numbers 11, I appear again. And in this incident, there's all these elders, there's 70 elders, and two of these elders, just two of them, are given the spirit of prophecy. And they're speaking God's truth. And I, Joshua, I turn to Moses and I go, they're just ordinary men. They can't have the spirit of prophecy. And Moses turns to me and says, Joshua, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all people could prophesy. And God was really humbling me and teaching me that he was going to use ordinary people to win his battle. That's when I got it wrong. I got it right at a place called Kadesh Barnea. So, so, God, so Moses has sent me and uh, 11 other spies. And he said to us, go and spy into the land. So we stood there, and we look, we're looking over into this land. And it's amazing. Uh, this land, this promised land, it's luscious. It's beautiful. It's like flowing with milk and honey. And do you know what happens? Ten of these spies go back to Moses and say this. They say, that land, you should see it. It is so amazing. But, but the people in that land, they're so strong, like they've been on steroids. And the cities, they are fortified cities. We could never win against them. 
And I say, just me and Caleb, I say, but God's on our side. And if God is on our side, of course we can win and take the land. Do you know who the people listened to? They didn't listen to me and Caleb at all. They went with the majority and they said, you know, the people are too strong and the cities are too strong and we'll never get that. How about we just settle in the desert here? And do you know what God did? For 40 years, we wandered around in this stupid desert looking at the promised land. 40 years. I'm 42. That's a, that's a long time. But do you know what else God did? God said, because the people had disobeyed and they'd rebelled, not one of that generation was going to enter the promised land, except me and Caleb. And that's what happened, you know. All these men, they died in the desert. They never got there. Now, here's the shock. Do you know who else didn't get there? Moses. The great leader Moses, the great man of God who had led us all those years, he never got into this promised land. He was the most extraordinary man. Uh, you can read about him in Deuteronomy 34, just before Joshua chapter 1. Look at Deuteronomy 34 verse 10. Uh, Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all these miraculous signs and wonders. The Lord sent him to do, to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land, for no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. The most extraordinary man, but he never got to the promised land. That's not even more scary. Just before he died, Moses chose me to succeed him. Uh, me, Joshua, little Joshua is going to lead God's people. You can read that in verse 9. Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. I have to say, friends, that I'm pretty scared. I mean, the people there are massive. And the cities are huge. But then again, I'm not scared because it's not about me or my strength or my ability or my leadership skills. And it wasn't about Moses or his strength or his ability or his leadership skills because I follow a God who is able and a God who is strong, and a God who will get us there. And that's the message of my book, that you follow a God who is strong, and a God who is able, and a God who will lead you there. And it's not about you, it's all about him. And that's why it's so encouraging. That's the story so far. God's people just camping there by the River Jordan, about to cross the Promised Land. So what does Joshua 1 teach us? I want to leave you with three great encouragements tonight. Here's the first one. Be confident in God's promises. Be confident in God's promises. 
That's the big theme of the whole book. Remember the key verse, 21 verse 45? Not one of all the Lord's good promises failed. Well, look how Joshua starts. It starts with a funeral. It's funny, actually, in the Bible, lots of the books start with funerals. Genesis ends with, with, with the death of Joseph, and then Exodus starts. Deuteronomy start, ends with the death of Moses, and then um, Joshua starts. Verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. And he doesn't say, now weep or now wait. He says, now you and all these people get ready to cross this mighty Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. Just look at the first few words of of verse 3. I will give you every place, as I promised. Please feel the impact of those words. It's been 500 years since God's promised the land. They've spent 40 years wandering in the, in the desert. And now God is saying, you're finally going to get there and I'm going to keep my promise. I love the quote that says, God buries his workers, but God's work still goes on. God buries Moses, but God's promises don't die with a funeral. God's promises are not thwarted by a raging river that stands between them. God's promises are not thwarted by a mighty enemy in the land. God will get his people to the promised land. They didn't earn it. They couldn't secure it. But God will give it to them. And that's such a lesson for you and I, isn't it? It's learn that very, very simple lesson that, that you and I often forget, that, that every single one of God's promises he will keep. The promise-making God is also the promise-keeping God. Now read the scriptures. Well, what has God promised you? Your God has promised you that if you trust in Christ, you have passed over from death to life. Your God has promised you that Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Your God has promised you that he's going to refine you through suffering. Your God has promised you that if you've come to Jesus, that, and, that all your burdens have been laid at him and you will find rest. Your God has promised you that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you. He's going to come back. And every single one of those promises, God will keep. But there's one promise for the book of Joshua that you and I need to cling on to. It's the promise of heaven, the promise of the land, the promise of rest. Because that's how it's described in verse 13 of Joshua chapter 1. Verse 13 says, The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. And as we read the book of Joshua, God's people entered the land. God People did get rest, but it wasn't a perfect land, and it wasn't a permanent rest. And that's why Hebrews 4 verse 8 says, If Joshua had given them rest, God wouldn't have spoken later about another day. 
And this story of the land, the story of Canaan, points beyond the, the promised land to heaven, the place of perfect rest, the place of permanent rest. And maybe you need to hear that tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and all you need to hear is God's promise of heaven is true. God's promise of rest is true. And God will take you to be with him. Because I need to hear that. And I think you do too. Because we're living in this land of wilderness and we're tired and we're discouraged and we are grumbling and we're complaining and it is so easy to doubt that promise of heaven. But nothing to do with me and my ability and my strength and my leadership. It's got everything to do with God and his ability and his skill and his leadership and he will take me there. You see, God provided the Israelites with a, a mighty leader. His name was Joshua. And as you meet Joshua, he meditated on God's word. He led the people bravely. But the book of Joshua ends with the death of Joshua because he never led them to permanent rest. And so we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting for the next Joshua. Now Joshua is a, is a Hebrew name. Do you know what the Greek equivalent of Joshua is? It's spelled J-E-S-U-S. Same name, Joshua, Jesus, means God saves. And you, are, you and I are waiting, or we were waiting for the great leader who would guarantee us that place in the promised land. And he's come. His name is Jesus. And if you're here tonight and you're trusting in Jesus, you're clinging to the cross, saying he died for me, you can be certain that you'll get to that promised land, you'll get to heaven. I love the story of the little girl who is about five or six and she's trying to reach this leaf on, the, on this, uh, this bush and she's just not tall enough to reach it. And her dad comes along and says, here, let's do this together. He says, just, just, just cling on to me and, and we'll do it together. And he picks up his girl and that extra height means she just reaches out and very easily just picks that leaf off the tree. And, and Jesus is saying to you tonight, just, just trust me, just cling on to me. I, I'll carry you. I'll hold you in together. I'll take you to the heaven. I'll take you to the promised land. So let me ask you, friends, what at the moment, what today causes you to doubt God's good promise of heaven? What is it today that's going to cause you to, to doubt and question whether heaven exists and whether God will get you there? For me, it's sometimes my sin. You know, I'm just thinking, why would God take a wretched man like me to a perfect place like heaven? Uh, sometimes, to be really blunt, it's Sydney. Because this is pretty good, isn't it? And I'm thinking, can heaven really be better than that? Why would I want to go there? Sometimes it's suffering. And sometimes it's just like, does this really exist? Am I crazy? What are the moments is causing you to doubt God's promise? God is faithful. What he said will happen will happen. And he's promised you rest and he's given you the way there. He's called Jesus. Here's my second word for you tonight. Be courageous in God's presence. 
be confident in God's promises, be courageous in God's presence. I love Joshua. He's a great man of faith. But that doesn't mean he wasn't worried or anxious or scared. I sometimes think we think these Old Testament heroes are like these robots who have no feelings and no emotions and no anxieties. Joshua is a real man being asked to lead God's people against real enemies into a promised land. And he needs words of reassurance. Look at verse 5, extraordinary verse. Joshua 1 verse 5. It says, No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Aren't they amazing words? The same words that were spoken to Moses back in Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush. I'll be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. It's not a comfort that, that, that God doesn't just drop Joshua into this leadership role that says, okay, off you go, by yourself, get the people there, use your strength, use your strategies, use your abilities, off you go, lead the people. Look at the words again. I will be with you, says God. Uh, and God says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He's, God is saying to Joshua, Joshua, I will empower you and I will equip you and I will sustain you and I will comfort you and I'll never leave you and I will never forsake you. And maybe there are words you need to hear tonight that your creator God is saying, on your way to heaven, I'll never leave you. I'll never turn my back on you. I'll be with you every step of the way. They're hard words to believe, aren't they? Because... We're used to other people letting us down. Even the people that we love most. They promise they'll stand by us, but they never do. People forsake us. People leave us. But your God, he's alongside you. He is empowering you. He's equipping you. He's comforting you. He will get you there. He'll walk with you there. And just in case you're thinking, but Paul... I'm not Joshua. I'm not God's chosen servant, God's chosen leader. I'm just an average Christian man, an average Christian woman. Do you know the author to the Hebrews in Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, quotes Joshua chapter 1 and applies it to every man and every woman who trusts in Jesus. And he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Don't you find that encouraging? As you go through the wilderness of life, as you go through the trials and the, the, the temptations and the struggles, every step of the way, your God is with you. In fact, we've got it better than Joshua. We've got it much better than Joshua because after Jesus came, after he returned to his father, what did he do? Who did he send? Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just, doesn't just walk alongside us. I sometimes think that when you say God is with you, you can't even imagine that you've got God there holding your hand. It gets much better than that. God has unzipped you. And he's put his Holy Spirit in you to indwell you and zipped you back up again. So every step that you take on your journey to heaven, God is with you. 
How can you say, I'm doing this all alone? Whatever situation, whatever circumstance, whatever trial, whatever tragedy, whatever disaster you go through, you can never say, my God has left me. Isn't that a word in comfort? Do you know that, that, uh, that footprints poem? <laughs> Most Christians sort of cringe at it. But it's true. Let me just read it to you. Footprints in the Sand by Mary Stevenson. Oh, one night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. And many scenes from my life flashed across the sky, and in, in each scene I noticed footprints in the sand. Uh, sometimes there were two sets of footprints, and other times there was just one set of footprints. And this bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life, when I was suffering from anguish and sorrow or defeat, I could see only one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, Lord, you promised me that if I followed you, you would walk with me always. But I noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there'd only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why, Lord? Why, when I needed you most, have you not been there for me? And the Lord replied, the times when you have seen only one set of footprints is when I carried you. Friends, there's never two sets of footprints. You never go through life just with the Lord by your side. There's always only one. And those footprints belong to the Lord because throughout your whole life he is carrying you. Throughout your whole life he is with you. Carrying you to heaven. Isn't that the most wonderful truth? Memorize chapter 1 verse 5. God says, I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Uh, but for Joshua, it, it's not just a comfort. It's actually empowering. It, it's, it's courageous. In case you missed it, verse 6, uh, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, be strong and courageous. Down to verse 9. Be strong and courageous. Down to verse 18. Only be strong and courageous. Because that's what God's presence does to us. It's not just the soothing balm of comfort. It's actually your strength and your courage as you go through life, whatever situation. It wasn't easy for Joshua to lead these rebellious people. But God does not tell Joshua, just be strong, be clever, be strategic. He says, be strong and courageous because I am with you. And do you notice how he's going to do that? Verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. How? Oh, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. There's a link between the presence of God and the courage of Joshua and the word of God. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. See what he says to Joshua? If you want to, to know my presence with you, that's connected to your attitude towards the word of God. 
meditate on the word, speak the word, do the word, live the word, fill your mind with the word of God. And I found that to be very true, my friends. The times in my Christian walk where I have doubted God and shouted at God and said, have you abandoned me, God? It is a direct correlation to the way that I approach the Word of God. The more you meditate on the Word of God, the more you delight in the Scriptures, the more you're reminded of God's character, the more you say, yes, that's the God who's with me always. Do you ever doubt you'll get to heaven? not down to you, it's down to the promise of God. Be confident in his promise. Be courageous in his presence. Here's my last point. Be united as God's people. It's easy to miss this point, but it's very important. See, Joshua organized people and Joshua mobilized the troops. Uh, Verse 10 of Joshua 1. Joshua ordered the officers of the people Go to the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan. Can you imagine that? (laughs) You're waiting 40 years. He says, three days' time, we're about to go in. Verse 12, but to the Reubenites, to the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you? The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Your wives, your children, your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you, east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest. And again, you've got to understand your Bible. So these tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, the Manassites, uh, they'd, they'd asked for the inheritance early. So, so Moses gave them a plot of land east of the Jordan. But at this point, God is saying, now get alongside your brothers, get alongside the Israelites and help them take over that land. And I think what Joshua 1 is telling us, friends, is that, is that God doesn't just give us himself, but he gives us each other to help us get to the land. As you head towards heaven, you can't do it by yourself. It's hard to be a Christian in this world by yourself. But he gives you each other. It's called the church. As you look around tonight, you're supposed to say, God has placed me in this family, in this, in this uh, church, so that we can link arms together and spur one another on to keep trusting in Jesus, to keep clinging to Jesus as we head towards heaven. There's a story of a, of a biker who became a Christian. And he went to church week after week after week after week. And then he left the church. He said this to the pastor. He said, it's really sad. Uh, I, I get more love and I feel more part of a family with my old bikey friends. They're not believers. I, I thought the church was a family, but it's not. Isn't that a sad indictment on the church? God gives us each other as family, as brothers, to help each other get to that promised land. And maybe that's why you doubt heaven tonight. Because you refuse to be part of a family. You're trying to do it all alone. Thinking that you're strong enough to do it by yourself. And you're not. You need your brothers and sisters. You need each other. 
I don't know what caused you to doubt heaven. It's a beautiful truth, Joshua chapter 1. It's God's promise, God's presence, and God's people. And he will get you there. He just asks you to keep clinging to Jesus. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing promise of the land of heaven, of the new heavens and new earth. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us as we journey towards heaven. Thank you that you know everything, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. Thank you that no trial and no tragedy takes you by, by surprise. And thank you for each other. Thank you for this church and the people you place around us that links arm with us as we head towards heaven. May we do praise you for your goodness and your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.